if you want to know, you know, and finding out as much as you can about your clients, their business, their family, treating them like a human being is, is a really good start, which I think a lot of law firms have missed. Say, for instance, you promised that they're going to get this by a certain date. That deadline is moving closer. You realize that given the current work commitments, you're not going to be able to complete what's needed during the time frame. Let them know as soon as possible and say, look, I just want to give you a heads up. I know I said I'd get this to you Wednesday. It's Monday and this has come in. I'm not going to be able to get it to you by then, but I will report to you on Wednesday and let you know where I'm at with it. If someone sent you an email and you know you need to do something about it, don't do anything right now, to at least acknowledge, oh, thanks, Peter, um, got your email. Thanks for sending those docs through. I'll have a look at them and come back to you as soon as possible. And then at least they're not left wondering in the background whether or not you've received it, whether or not it's being actioned, that level of communication and managing expectations. You're listening to Doing Law Differently. Join me, Lucy Dickens, as I explore how the world's most progressive legal service providers are doing law differently. Welcome back to the Doing Law Differently podcast. I am your host, Lucy Dickens, and today I'm joined by Ian Aldridge, the Director and Principal Lawyer at Progressive Legal. Their name in itself tells you that they should be doing something differently, right? Well, Ian recognised that many small businesses weren't seeking legal advice and were playing Russian roulette, as he says, with their businesses, or only engaging lawyers when it was too late. So he established his firm to help them out. Progressive Legal specialise in intellectual property, corporate, commercial, workplace and dispute resolution. There's not much that they can't do for a growing business. I start the conversation with Ian trying to understand what it is that drives his vision in his business. And he told me about some market research that he did where he actually asked his customers what it was that they needed from their lawyer, what their experience was like with him and for feedback on his services and how he has then taken that research and used it to form the basis of his vision for the firm. He found that his clients cared most about three things, cost, communication, and care. So I talked to him to see how those things now manifest themselves in his business. Enjoy the interview. Hi, Ian. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Lucy. Thanks for having us. You're very welcome. I'm interested to learn some more about your firm, particularly because you tell me that you, when you started the firm, you started with what a traditional law firm would look like, and then you set about doing the opposite, which is interesting because you're not the first person to say that to me. So I think we might have a bit of a trend coming here with people who are leaving big law and setting out to start their own firms to do things completely differently, which is exactly what you're trying to do. Yeah, I guess when I first started the firm five and a half years ago, I obviously wanted to do things a lot differently than than what I'd noticed in small, medium, large firms both here um, and in the UK um, over 12 years in private practice. And I guess I wanted to start the law firm with a fresh approach and doing things very differently to the original traditional model. After a while, we started noticing that we were starting with what what a traditional law firm wouldn't do or doing the totally opposite of what they would be doing Mm. and then working our way back from there and that relates on across a number of different areas and I guess we found that you know there was a lot of obviously a lot of bugbears that um, lawyers you know know when they work at at multiple firms and keep noticing the same things come up that you know either uh, clients complain about or other lawyers complain about 
or things that you just notice and think if I if I had my own law firm, I would do things very differently. So that's how we started. Was this a research project where you went out and intentionally looked at what was a big law firm doing and then doing the opposite? Or was this something that evolved over time? It evolved over time. We certainly did quite a bit of market analysis and research when mm. we started the firm to ask the market what they really wanted and expected and what was deficient, what the traditional law firm was doing wrong that, that kept coming up over and over again. Because I don't think many law firms had ever done this before, had even asked their clients nope. these types of questions. And perhaps it's not just law. I mean, I imagine a lot of the professional services generally and probably more widely business in general don't actually ask their consumers and clients uh, customers what it is they like about what they do what they don't like about what they do what are the deal breakers what are the bears, the the things that great people's gears and really asking the clients how they feel about that and what are the you know three main things that they have issues with when it comes to engaging with lawyers mm-hmm. i'm glad you said that because it's exactly what i was thinking as you were speaking and that is or how many or how, how many other lawyers have gone out and asked their clients what they like or what they don't like? And I want to unpack that a bit because I think you're right. It's not something that's done in business across the board, not just specifically in law. But what did that look like for you? You say you did market research and you asked the market those kinds of questions. What was that? Did you phone your clients? Did you have a meeting? Did you contact random people off the street? Well, I was part of a networking community, but the first, and and it was helpful that we'd had some clients under our belt before we started asking these questions and taking a bit of a survey from um, from the current clients. So the, initially it was actually engaging a marketing consultant to help ask that. And it was very interesting what the answers that came back and asking, you know, these sort of 20 questions and getting to know, you know, the clients a bit more, what their needs were, where their needs met, where there was a dominant timely fashion, how were the email communications, how were they on the phone, were they, you know, was it too long, what did you, you know, feel you received value what was the end result and how did they feel at the time? What was the whole process like engaging with this firm and the services and the advice? What was the end result and how did it make them feel and were the fees reasonable? Would you recommend this firm to others, etc.? cetera? And, and asking all those really, really detailed questions that, of course, law firms just have never thought about asking before and getting that really timely feedback as soon as you can after the process is done. You said you were surprised by the results. What what surprised you? I think I was I was surprised at what clients were willing to tell a third party, even though they were engaged on behalf of the firm, knowing full well that the feedback would be passed on, albeit anonymously, or even still when when there was it. Oh no, I'm happy for you to tell him all of this because it's important that he knows where it comes from, etc. So. I think a lot of law firms would be very surprised Mm. of what they would hear because bringing these issues to bear as a client is a really difficult, I imagine would be extremely difficult when they're your trusted advisor and to have a very difficult conversation, a very courageous conversation with their lawyer about feedback. And usually, you know, law firms will definitely get feedback about certain major things like costs, et cetera, or, you know, if their emails weren't answered or this, that, and the other. But there's a whole host of stuff in an interaction, as you would know from engaging with professional services generally, that you wouldn't necessarily bring up unless given the opportunity to. 
I was just very surprised, you know, and sometimes I, I wasn't even aware of when there were some issues and clients were just, you know, just not saying anything about it because they didn't want to at the time. But, you know, afterwards and given the opportunity, they were very, very appreciative of, of being able to be given the opportunity to be heard in the hope that it would um, assist us in the services that we delivered. So it was a very, very eye-opening opportunity. I, I think I would definitely do it again, even after five years' time, to continue to make our services better because they, they could always be better. So you did that as a once-off project. Do you still ask your customers for feedback? We do receive a lot of feedback now just by by virtue of knowing many of these indicators. Um, we've, we definitely know when people are, are you know, happy and unhappy now. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. We, we have a very open dialogue. But certainly we could be doing a lot more by way of after-service survey to get feedback about continually improving the service. That's a really good idea. I think it's I think it's definitely something we should be constantly, we should implement and have it running continuously. But you told me that there were three things that, or three main things that you identified as a result of that research and you say they are cost, communication and care. So I'd like to have a few minutes to unpack each of them. And starting with cost, Now, you said to me when we were talking before this interview that there aren't many firms who publish their fixed fees online, but you are, of course, one of them. One of the very few. I don't know of very many other. Our firm does, your firm does. I don't think I've come across many others, to be honest. So why do you publish your fees online? Yeah, I guess from that initial feedback, we sort of clumped the three main sort of things into buckets, and it was cost, communication and care, Mm. and cost being the, the number one thing that was coming up from previous from experiences with previous law firms, what was the biggest issue? And, and that'd be no surprise to anyone yeah, of course. listening to this. Um, it gets constantly banged on about by the Office of Legal Services Commissioner and, you know, and consistently in all the law cover complaints and guidelines and et cetera. And I guess the transparency of costs is obviously a very big issue um, for law firms. 90 plus percent, I would say, don't, talk about even fixed fees over the phone. Mm-hmm. There's some very interesting statistics that have come out from the Clio Trends Report in the US in relation to those costs. And, and even when they conducted a very interesting survey of, of law firms, you know, pretending to be potential clients and asking for those costs, most of them would not discuss costs over the phone. What does that mean? So if you want to talk about costs, you have to go see them in person? They wouldn't even provide them with their fees or, or, or a cost estimate over the phone. What a strange way of, of attracting new business. I think law has historically been, you know, this kind of our way or the highway, take it or leave it type approach to professional services. And unfortunately, I think there has been a very big fear of scaring people off by discussing those costs because usually those costs are far greater than what people might initially expect um, to pay for these types of services. And when people have phoned up to ask law firms or gone to their websites to search for fees, you know, usually I think firms would be hesitant to publish these types of, of fees, either by the fact that they were too afraid of fixing fees for services because of unknown variants that might happen after the relationship has, has begun, but and also not knowing too about how people wanted to buy to consume legal services which is now obviously moving very, very much towards that type of um, known cost. And I suppose the, the reason why we publish them is because at the end of the day, they're going to find out what the costs are. Why not tell them, 
why, why not tell them straight up? I mean, um, if they're making a decision based on on price alone, then my view is um, you're much better to be transparent about it um, as much as you possibly can. You obviously can make the caveat that you know this is for standard, non-complex mm-hmm. um, types of you know, run-of-the-mill type documents and. And obviously, if, if it's a complicated shareholders agreement or if it's something far more complex than first imagined, then obviously that's a that's a conversation you know that needs to be had as soon as possible in the in the engagement process. But at least to publish what you would otherwise be saying on the phone anyway before having a more detailed conversation. I don't. I don't. I think this is just going to be the way legal services mm. services go. One of the criticisms that I've heard to publishing fees online is that it gets rid of the opportunity, eliminates the opportunity for you to charge based on value because you don't know the customer yet, so you don't know what value they attach to this piece of legal work. What do you say to that? I'm not sure how different, I mean, by having a conversation with someone, is that are those fixed prices going to change just based on, on the conversation that you're going to have with them? And if so, could that not be slightly disingenuous that you're going to be charging people differently for the same pieces of work i mean i think you're much better to attract an audience with the certainty of knowing how much that particular piece of work is going to be and if you it's going to cost yeah and if you kind of worked out how much does it cost us generally to deliver these types of services or documents you know with you know one round of changes or whatever it might be the overwhelming response from the law society and and obviously legal services commission law coverage absolutely fabulous if you can fix fee the work and then then there's going to be no dispute about about costs which is the number one issue one number one issue over and over you might lose a little bit on the first one you do for them because you're getting to know the client you know a bit more in their in their business in person but that's just time that you should be spending and getting to know them and making sure that you over service in that regard um and over under promise and over deliver in terms of expectation and then setting up that relationship then to then become their trusted advisor rather than having a very uncomfortable discussion about costs down the track or wasting your time, frankly, with people who don't understand how much it's going to cost. And then when you say this is going to cost this much and then they say, oh, my goodness, I didn't realise it was going to be that long. And then, you you know, you've wasted everyone's collective time, 45 minutes to an hour to have that conversation, especially if you're doing those initial calls. For free. For free, if you're doing those complimentary calls, you're going to burn a lot of time. I think at the end of the day, if, if people are going to make that decision based on cost, why not? What's the harm? I agree with the point about if they at least have some idea about what the service is going to cost, then at least they know that before they get in touch. I don't think, though, that it's disingenuous to sell a service for X dollars to one person and Y dollars to the other because I do think people place different value on the service. I mean, one person might want their service to be delivered tomorrow and the other one might be happy to wait till next month. But this is where I see the fixed and value work really well together is that you have a fixed price and the fixed price that you publish is for the scope of services that you've got published on your website. And if somebody comes along and they want something that's not that scope, that's where your value comes in because that's when you can compare and you can say, well, if the fixed price standard service is X dollars, but you need this by tomorrow and you've got this complicating factor and blah, 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 blah. And that's where the value pricing comes in. So in my experience, I think they work beautifully together in that way because the fixed price attracts people to you. They see that you're transparent. The people who don't fit within that scope, you can then give a different price, which I think is what you're doing anyway, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, if it's a more complex, obviously there's, you know, these types of 
you know, particular documents are for the standard run-of-the-mill small business. There's not going to be long and protracted negotiations or multiple, many, you know, multiple parties to an agreement, etc. I mean, you can put as much, you know, as many caveats yeah. as you like with it, but the, the vast majority of them aren't that way. So, and I think, you know, at the end of the day, if no one can buy those services, they're just an indication of what the price, um, what those fixed prices are for those run-of-the-mill standard documents. And I understand why, if you talk to any firm, there, there will definitely be a number of things that they might do. I mean, they might be family lawyers and they might, do you know a certain amount for a you know for a particular document parties and and they can fix prices many of those documents and, and others they, they they just can't I mean, we can't yeah. we can't fix price these you know pieces of litigation that are more than you know that first step or you know or thereafter I, I know that there are some there are some law firms that do that and my hat goes off to them because I I you know we still haven't worked out um how to do that because litigation. And family law and notoriously difficult to to estimate and there are just so many variables that it can be very you know very hard to do that without obviously knowing the case first yeah feeling inspired but unsure how to translate that inspiration into change in your firm or maybe you have ideas to shake up your business but you're having a hard time implementing them well i can help after 10 years leading law firm development and change i'm now helping others to do the same My coaching programs are designed to help you redesign your business to create a simple but significant and sustainable business that will skyrocket your success. Let me help you do law differently. Visit lucydickens.com.au forward slash coach to find out more. Something else that you've done though, something different is Legal Shield, which is your front loaded retainer plan or packages. Tell, Tell us about this. So we noticed that after a few hundred clients in the startup space, um, most, if not all of them, or, or growing small businesses, most, if not all of them would require at least three to five tailored legal documents for the business. If they hadn't already got legal advice and some stuff sorted, or they might have just had a few things done, but the vast majority, 90%, would need terms and conditions, you know, their agreement with their client, mm-hmm. you know, some waivers, disclaimers, or privacy policy, a supplier agreement or a referral agreement, a workplace contract, either employment, um, you know, contract for employment or independent contractors agreement, um, shareholders agreement, or some, you know, something else. So, out of all those sort of potential documents, trademarks, they would need at least sort of three to five, and. What I found was the the and this is the that tra- traditional interaction between client and law firm is they would come to us for a strategic sort of um, high level advice. We would say they need this, 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 and this. They would say how much does that cost, and we say this, and they fall off their chair. <laughs> and then they probably do nothing, do they? Right. So they either do well. The, the I either do nothing or they say what's, but more often than not, they will say, okay, what's the most important thing that I de- need to do right now? And so they'll say, well, okay, let's get the, let's get the agreement with your client sorted. So then we do that. And then they then we play this come here, go away game constantly. And, and I found that the transaction costs between say to a business, okay, I, tell me everything about the business that's required for this particular document. You do that, you deliver, they pay the bill. It usually has three zeros behind it. So it's not a for a startup or a small business. It's a grudge purchase where a necessary evil, knowing that they they have to have it and it costs money and and the process was difficult. And then essentially they don't want to do it again once they've done it once. They have to come back and do the next thing and the next thing. But all the while they trade and play Russian roulette with the business until the business can afford 
to pay for those services. So, you know, there's madness. There's got to be a better way of doing this and at least getting these small business startups and growing businesses protected, essentially allowing them to pay off, get the protection now when they need it, but then pay, you know, pay that off over time and also have someone on call for little bits and pieces of advice as and when they need it without having to worry about how much is this email going to cost, am I being charged for this phone call, all those questions that keep coming up. As far as I know, it's the only front-loaded retainer of its kind in Australia or, or anywhere else in the world. And although there are administrative costs involved in handling transactions every month and credit card transactions and all the rest, yeah. at least the actual relationship with the client is far more stable because you know you're going to get the work. It's agreed what, what work needs to be done. It makes the bills two zeros behind them, either 295 or 395 or 495 a month, including GST. And at least they know what they're getting for their money. They've got someone that, that goes through you know multiple areas of their business and understands the business far more intimately than if someone just came and just did one, you know, a contractor's agreement. That person started a week ago. We need you know, we need that employment contract done now. So that's what they come to first and don't get the advice about the potential trademark infringement that's currently um, you know, in the background. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And because time is of the essence with all this stuff, no one is, no one starts business nowadays, unfortunately, with, you know, 20, 50, 100 grand, which is what it's really, what it really requires. Mm. And they bootstrap it until they, until they either get a scare or their business has enough money to actually finally you know, do these services. But that usually takes two or three years down the track and then they're pulling themselves up by their bootstraps then. And they need to do this now. Yeah. But at least it gives them the opportunity to pay off over time and in a consistent monthly budget because you know, we found that budgeting was a very big issue for small business and growing businesses where any bill with three zeros behind it was a very was a tough decision for a business owner to make on the spot when we're usually and they didn't see it like insurance business insurance they don't they don't see us mm. as business insurance they see us as almost an unnecessary evil until it becomes completely necessary which is an unfortunate state that i think what you know what the profession is is, is kind of in now if the statistics are as we think we don't we don't know exactly what the statistics are but it's at least 60 percent, probably more like 70 and above percent of small and growing businesses don't have a lawyer that they can trust to go to for any legal issues that they have where it's almost the opposite for accounting you know everyone has an accountant don't they yep interesting talk to me about communication that's the second thing that you identified in your research what was it that you found and what is it that you're doing about it yeah i guess the communication comments kept coming back of the classic is my lawyer doesn't reply to my emails or mm. answer my phone calls or reply in any timely manner. There's some very interesting statistics in that Clio Trends report that I was talking about earlier that something like 50, above 50% of law firms that this unanimous survey conducted when they left messages for, for the lawyers on the phone never called them back, ever. Wow. And if the expectation is that consumers feel that I think 70% or something thought that a response within 48 hours was reasonable or 72 hours was reasonable and when clients were being left for days, weeks, months unanswered forever, mm. I mean, it's a pretty sad indictment. I mean, we're talking, this is just general initial inquiries. That was just one part of the communication. But legalese, 
almost talking in a different language, yeah. yeah, as if they were talking to a court or other lawyers, um, communicating with clients in that fashion just doesn't wash with them, and they'll never, they'll, and then they'll, they'll never, ta- and they never say it. They won't um, tell you because, mm. they, because they're too embarrassed because mm. they think, um, um, it's like they're talking in, a, in gobbledygook, and you know the classic sort of emails that have one sentence for an entire paragraph. Most people, as soon as you say a word to someone that they don't know, then the eyes glaze over and, and they're thinking about, or they're thinking about that word that you said a while ago, trying to, still trying to figure out, figure what, out what it, it meant. Mm-hmm. And you've lost them in the communication. So what's your approach then? You're, you're making an effort to make sure you're communicating clearly. Where else does it go? So the less words, the better. Certainly, and, and even reviewing emails, going out the door, making sure that if something doesn't need to be said, if you can use less words, basically, use less words. Mm. Fill your boots if you want to talk to other lawyers or communicate emails with other lawyers. Or There's plenty of opportunities in law to practice your Latin and, um, and verbosity you know, to a level unbeknownst to, to any common person. If you're so inclined, yes. <laughs> but when you are talking with clients, you you know. Leave it out, yeah. You know, there's a few words that I've banned, you know, the, the, and whilst and all that sort of stuff, the formal language, mm-hmm. it is banned from client communication because at the end of the day, your advice is best delivered in the medium and the tone to your audience. And your audience will vary depending on their sophistication your, you know, your clients will vary in terms of how much information they like to digest, whether they prefer to be contacted by phone or email. You have to really tailor as much as you can to clients to make it as personal and practical. And if the end of the day is to give them good legal advice that they can use practically in their businesses, then there's whatever you need to do to make sure that that's done in the most effective way. And I've found with most business owners that are busy, we have really busy lives, is to make sure that, you know, it's clear and concise. You provide a way forward constantly. That's what they're paying for. And that ties in perfectly with the third thing that you identified or the third bucket, as you called it before, which is care, mm-hmm. which is probably not a word that's typically associated with lawyers. I feel a bit sad saying that, but I think the traditional or the stereotype you wouldn't associate with care. So what does care mean to you? Well, I think this definitely was one of the big things that I that we found from doing this research. And it was most clients didn't think that their lawyer actually cared about mm. their business, them and their business. And that when they were going to see a lawyer, they would, you know, look down over their glasses, um, you know, at them and talk down to them, you know, mansplain to them, or even, you know, off you pop, come back when you've got a more serious business and, or, you know, it's not just a hobby, etc., and not provide them with enough respect. I think that they that they deserve. I mean, I'm talking about business owners here. Of course, it's applicable across the board, but for a lot of business owners, I mean, this is, and it's also, I think, more across the board with professional services, generally accountants, other lawyers. So how does care manifest itself in your business? Yeah, so I think you've got to realise first that if clients want to be cared for, then, you know, that's that old, you know, sort of adage that you know, you've got to realise first. That's the first step, you know, to actually change is to is to realise that there is a problem that business owners and clients actually want their lawyer to care for them. And that can be demonstrated across a number of different ways. It means you know, and it ties in with the others too. It means that you're open about those costs and you're very clear about them. And if they're particularly sensitive about certain issues, that you concentrate on making sure that 
those issues are dealt with. It could be across a number of different things. It could be confidentiality that they're very, very concerned about, or it could be that they're concerned about a particular aspect of the matter and saying, I know you're very concerned about this, so I've taken the steps to lay this out for you. And to, well, I know that that was your, I know that that was your biggest thing that you came to us and, and that was your focus. So we've really focused on that to really, to show them that you care. And it's not just sending a Christmas card. It's not just the general things that the traditional law firm would do. I think that's the thing about care. You can't fake it. It has to be genuine. Yeah. And when there's feedback that you take it seriously and let them know that you've taken it seriously, let them know that it's okay, I appreciate you taking the time to let me know this and showing them what you have done about it and then reporting back to them and making sure that they know that what they have said has been passed on or actioned or whatever appropriate steps that you need to take. And it could be that they are very, very happy with the service and that you said, just to let you know, that means so much to us. I've passed it on to the team. It could be good. It could be bad. It could be ugly. It could be, it could be fair. It could be not fair. Yeah, acknowledging their feedback when they send it, when they take the time to send it. That's a very good point. And I guess if you want to know, you know, and finding out as much as you can about your clients, you know, their business, their families, treating them like a human being is a really good start, which I think a lot of law firms have missed. To actually put yourself in their shoes and think, if I was this person, and it could well be that you're thinking in this particular transaction, say, for instance, you promised that they're going to get this by a certain date, that deadline is moving closer you realise that given the current work commitments, you're not going to be able to complete what's needed during the time frame. Let them know as soon as possible and say, look, I just want to give you a heads up. I know I said I'd get this to you Wednesday. It's Monday and this has come in. I'm not going to be able to get it to you by then, but I will report to you on Wednesday and let you know where I'm at with it. Mm. And little things like if someone sent you an email and you know you need to do something about it, not do anything right now, to at least acknowledge, oh, thanks, Peter. Thanks, Susan. I've I've, I've got, mm. um, got your email. Thanks for sending those docs through. I'll have a look at them and come back to you as soon as possible. And then at least they're not left wondering in the background whether or not you've received it, whether or not it's being actioned, that level of communication and managing expectations. Managing expectations, yeah, exactly where I was going. So cost communication and care are the three things that you identified from your market research and that you have really taken on board in the design of your firm. What advice, one piece of advice, would you give to somebody else who wants to do law differently? Definitely finding something that makes your business unique. Yeah. And definitely conduct some research, look at the statistics, see how being different can make a you know, can can make an impact. And I'm sure it's going to be a very changing landscape over the next five years. I think it's going to hit technology and all the rest is going to hit law like a mm. like you know a new Tesla truck and seeing what the trends are and seeing where it is going, how to deliver those services best to the clients and consumers in a way that they want. That's going to be a very big factor for, for people who want to do law differently in the, in the future. It might well be with something else, but finding that one thing that you are, that you are different at doing it that, that makes you unique and really playing to those strengths, I think, I think that's one piece of advice. Sounds brilliant. Thank you so much, Ian. Pleasure.
That's all from Doing Law Differently today. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed the show, I would love to ask two favors from you. First, please tell your friends. If you know of someone who you think might enjoy listening to the podcast or might learn something from one of my guests, I'd love it if you could share the episode with them. And the other thing I would love to ask is if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave me a rating and review. I love hearing what people think about the show and it really helps other people to find out about the podcast as well. See you next time. Bye.